Anybody want to get in the Word? Anybody hungry for the Word? Anybody want to hear what the Lord has to speak today? Now I'm going to sit down so y'all can listen to him. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 26, I, uh, I, I don't take lightly the opportunity to be able to share uh, a word uh, that uh, the Lord has put on my heart, but believing that would uh, not just be something uh, to have something to say, but more importantly, that God would give us something for us to respond to. Amen? Uh, we don't need something to say. How many know we already got enough things to say? There's a lot of things to say. We don't need something to say. We want to hear today what it is God would speak to our heart, what he would have us do. And Matthew 26 is where we're going to be looking. And uh, over these last weeks, we've been, uh, this campaign, uh, the Converge campaign, as you know, every campaign has an agenda. And uh, the campaigns that we're used to watching on TV, the agenda is to get you to not like the other one so that you can like them. And uh, that's the, the agenda of it is to try and get the vote. So we have an agenda with this campaign. And here's the agenda. Our agenda is this, that we would come together to the point. That we would come together to the point of, of accomplishing what it is that God has for our lives. We believe this, that the point of life itself is Jesus Christ. He is, he is the point of life. He's the point of everything around us. And our lives are meant to converge, to come together to a point. We looked uh, a couple of weeks ago as we began this talking about uh, converging or coming to the point of change. And we talked about the collision course. That we made this statement that you cannot come to Jesus and not be changed. Amen? That you cannot meet Jesus and it not affect your life. If it's not affecting your life, then the problem is you came to the version of your Jesus and not to really Jesus. If it has not changed you, if it does not make you make you new and transform, then we haven't met Jesus. Uh, but when we converge, when we come to Christ, it will have a, uh, we'll have a collision and it will impact us. We looked last week and talked about coming to the point of healing, that Jesus is uh, um, uh, the God of miracles, that he does miracles. And miracles are not just so that we can get something from God. Miracles are so that we can know even more about him. Miracles are not just things that we receive from God. They're signs that point to his ability, who he is, and what he's able to do. This morning, I want to take a look at converging to the point of greater things. Here at Faith Assembly, we believe that God has greater things in store for his church. We believe that the greatest days of the church are still ahead of her. The church has great things to speak of, of what has happened, of what God has done. There are great things to tell of what occurred in moments when, when maybe you came to know Jesus and seasons of life and what God has done. But we do not serve a God who saved, who, who has done his best first. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and is still has the ability to do great and mighty things in our midst, that the greatest days for the church are still ahead of us. We're standing on the shoulders of men and women who have gone before, and we are looking for the opportunity, and the opportunity that's in front of us is to experience even more of what God has for us. What does that look like? Here's what I believe that is. That is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we might live a life of peace in a world that's full of chaos. We are not going to change the fact that the world is going into chaos. The Bible says that in the last days, these things are going to occur. It'd be foolish for us to think that we're going to change the course of the world that God said it's going to head that way. 
So our job is not to change the course of the world. Our job is to impact the lives in their course and their direction. The world is heading this direction, but we are saying we have come out from the world and we are separate. It's our desire and our call is that we're to share the love of Jesus Christ so that others might know Jesus. What is that? To live with peace in a world that is filled with chaos. And so those are the greater things that I believe that God wants to to work in our lives, that we would experience his presence, that we would know him, and that we would indeed make him known. This morning in Matthew chapter 26, if you have your Bibles, and if you believe that we serve a God who has great things in store, would you stand today and let's just look at this word together. In Matthew 26, verse 36 is where we're going to begin. Matthew 26, verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to the olive grove called Gethsemane. He said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Sit here while I go over there. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass or be taken away from me. I want you to see this. And here's what Jesus replies, or he responds to his own statement. He says, Let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Be done. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Father, this morning I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to hear this word, and Father, that we would respond. God, that we would walk into the greater things that you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before you're seated, I want you to find the pretty person next to you. If you don't have one, borrow someone, I'm just kidding. I want you to say to them, you can sit here, but I'm going there. Tell them today, you can sit here, but I'm going over there. You can sit here, but I'm going over there. Some of you are in a quandary, you don't know which pretty person to pick. Some of you said, forget this, I'm just sitting down. Some of you just did a whole group thing. We're all pretty. Everybody's just, that's all just, we're in a group thing here. You can sit here, but I'm going over there. I am, uh, uh, I am, I'm not even recovering. I'll just admit it and say what I am. I am an indecisive person. I have a problem with making decisions sometimes because, and I don't know if I'm the only one, but I am indecisive in that I can complicate the process and I can second guess the outcome. Do you know the trouble that I live with? Do you know what my wife puts up with? I am by nature, decision making is, is, is I know and I desire to make decisions, but then there's this, this conflict sometimes of making the right decision. Do not ask me where we're going to go to eat after church. 
We'll drive around and we'll, we'll pass every place around just to circle right back to where we begin and eat at a place where we wonder maybe we should have gone somewhere else in the other, at the end of it. Oh, it's just one of those things sometimes. You, some of you are thinking, man, you've got issues. You've got your own. Quit judging mine. <laughs> I'm an indecisive person. But I think we all can relate to it sometimes that we recognize that in life there are desires and intent to accomplish and to experience great things, but we're here and they're over there. And sometimes getting from here to over there isn't always as easy. If only I could just will my way into it. If only I could just, just you know, think hard enough and make myself do it. This difficulty of making decisions and and becoming indecisive. I think we all suffer with that to some level of being indecisive because we have this desire to experience God on a level that we know is possible, but we're confronted with circumstances and situations that oftentimes can present difficulties and obstacles of getting from here to there. My issue oftentimes in in being indecisive is, without a doubt, it's centered in fear. There's this fear of making the wrong choice, this fear of missing an opportunity, this fear of not pleasing people around me. It's connected to a fear. And because of that fear, sometimes I feel safer to not make a decision at all than to take the chance and make the wrong decision. I know I'm not the only one. I know it's not just my issue. You don't have the same one that I've got, but you know what it's like. It's safer sometimes to stay in the place that we've been than to step out in vulnerability and believe that God can do and work in a place that he wants to take us. You see, because going from here to there, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you sit here while I go over there to pray. Do you know what he was doing over there? You see, because when I look at what was over there, I'm tempted to stay right here too. Because what was over there was betrayal, accusation, judgment, sentencing. He said, you stay here while I go over there. I don't want to go over there. But he faces those things and he says these words to his father. He says, If there be any other way, let this cup that I'm about to drink, can I get a different cup? Can you do this some other way? Can this happen by some other means? I know the world is lost because in that time, Jesus, of course, he is fully God, but he's also fully man. He knows what it's like to live in this flesh that we live in. He knows what it's like to contemplate the things and the fear of of what's in front of us, to know what we have to face. He knew what it was like, tempted in every way as we were, but yet without sin. He knew the frustration. He knew to the point of agony that when he went back, he prayed so fervently that the Bible says his sweat turned to blood. And I love that Mark adds this point. And Mark says at that moment that the Lord, that an angel came to strengthen him. There are times that we go in this place, we say, God, I want to go from here and I want to go to there. But the difficulty of walking into great things that... I would be tempted not to go that direction either. But Jesus says these word, this word, 
this word that in itself made up of three words, but this word that defines him and his commitment, he says, nevertheless. Three separate words, but all put together that he looks in that moment and he says, this is not what I desire, but nevertheless, I'm going to put the will of God above my preference. That the will of God will supersede my own desires. That this nevertheless, because what I've recognized that the only way to get from here to there and whatever it is you're believing for requires us to make a decision. You have to make a decision, a decision of what we're going to do with the truth that we hear, the decision that's in front of us. What is it that we're going to do if we're going to go from here to there? I want you to know that whatever you're standing at today, that in Jesus' name, there is still the greatest in front of you. I'm not here today to shine a a rearview mirror to say, hey, look at all the things we missed in the past. Because aren't you thankful that we serve a God who doesn't look at our past, but he always says, look what's ahead of you? We serve a God, and I'm not here today to say, we want to go from here to there because look at all the opportunities we're missing. Because if I were to look at all the opportunities I'm missing, it would be as if I'm carrying more value and more weight than I really can. I am not God. I am simply a servant of God. I can't make all the opportunities. Only God can meet all the needs and meet every moment. I will always fall short in myself. So I don't want to look today and say, well, I've got to go from here to there because look at all the times I've missed it. Look at all the things I've messed up. Look at all the stuff that's in my past. I'm not here today to say, look what we've missed. I'm here today to say, look what is ahead of us. Look at the opportunity. Look what God has in store. Look what is still ahead of us, what God still desires because fear will hold you in a place of saying, I'm not sure I want to take that risk. I stepped out before, and he can say things like, well, I tried to serve before, and I got hurt. I tried to step out before, and people didn't appreciate me. I tried to trust and go in this area, and it backfired. It hurt. It was disappointing. Somehow, we've made ourselves think that to follow Jesus from here to there means we don't have to deal with broken pieces. You remember when... Jesus fed the 5,000. He does a miracle and he feeds 5,000, even more than that. That's just counting the men. Jesus feeds 5,000 and after everyone has had their fill, Jesus says to the disciples, now go back and pick up the broken pieces. Go back and pick up the broken pieces. Why? Because even in every miracle and everything that God is doing, God is is a perfect God. He is such a perfect God. But he's working with imperfect people. And every time God works in our lives, when we trust him to go from here to there, you cannot help but go through moments that you have broken pieces. Let me tell you why. Because not that God ever fails, but that sometimes the way we go through them We have a level of expectation that it ought to look like this. It ought to feel like this. It ought to happen like this. And when it doesn't happen, look, and feel like that, we're sometimes left with broken pieces. We're sometimes left with, ah, this isn't turning out the way that I wanted it to turn out. And then we can somehow feel, then God, why aren't you here? 
And God says, I'm so much here that I'm even working in the broken pieces that you're going through. Even in the stuff, when you say, I, I, listen, when I step out and I'm trusting God, believing God, it doesn't mean that when I'm following after God, it doesn't mean that I won't have to go through places and things that are uncomfortable, difficult, or things that bring me, bring me displeasure. I wish I could say to you today that following Jesus just means just put on a smile every morning, wear your favorite clothes, and just love life because it'll all go the way you want it to go. We all know that's not how life happens. But if you're going to get from here to there, from this to greater things, you've got to go over there. And having this attitude of saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not the way I see it, look at it, perceive it, think of it, but the way it brings you glory. Here's what stands in the way of us going from here to there, though, is temptation. And here's what temptation is. Temptation is the opportunity to just keep staying right where you are. You know what it is to face temptation because I know temptation as well. And here's how temptation comes in and settles in very easily. Temptation. It's the moments that I'm wanting to make good choices with what I eat, but in my mind I'm thinking, ah, it's no big deal. I can have another one. It won't matter that much. And here's what temptation does. Temptation causes us or makes us, gives us permission to stay where we are because we then start to permit ourselves to say everything's fine because we have qualified this statement. It's not that big of a deal. You know how that works in the negative, right? That you can, I mean, an alcoholic didn't become an alcoholic overnight. It was in the moment of, well, it's not that big of a deal. It all starts with the, this isn't that big of a deal, right? Can I also say and flip that to the other side? What's hindering you from walking in the greatness that God has for you is that you have too many times disqualified moments and said, it won't matter that much. It's not that big of a deal. It won't make that much of a difference. You have neglected doing the little things because in your mind it won't make that much of a difference. And so instead of stepping towards what God has for us, we just feel like, well, it won't matter. Here's what temptation, when it really gets into us, temptation says someone else will do that sometime later in another way. Someone else, sometime later, somewhere down the road. Temptation always puts it in mind that there'll be another time, another day, another place. I'll make this decision some other time. I'll move in this direction some other time. I'll believe God and step in this area at another date. I'll push it off. Missing today. You see, because temptation wants to come around and keep us right where we are. You know what I've thought about temptation is it's temptation. Temptation doesn't come from God. The Bible makes it clear in James that temptation comes from evil desires that are in me that I give way to. So temptation is in me. You know what? Temptation, temptation is not God testing me. Temptation is me testing God. Temptation is when I say, God, I'm not really sure you know what you're doing. So I'm going to test you to see. You know, it's kind of scary 
to have a 16-year-old give the driver's test. It's kind of scary to let the 16-year-old teach the class on how to drive in safety. See, because the 16-year-old, unfortunately, has learned things by law and has allowed temptation to settle in to say it doesn't matter that much. Little things like texting and driving is not just wise to not do, but we would look at that and say, well, we don't text and drive because it's against the law. As if the law is why we shouldn't text or drive. The reason we shouldn't text or drive is because the power that is underneath me that I am controlling, that I have responsibility for, is of of such capability and has such influence that if I'm not alert and aware of what my surroundings are, then what I am seated in could become destructive. It's a matter of I need to be alert. But we somehow connect it with it's the law. And we, we make decisions based on it's the law, it's what I'm not allowed to do. Or, and we miss the fact that no, it's not about the law what you're not allowed to do. It's about responsibility that if you're going to get to your destiny in the right way and in the best way, then it's important for you to not allow this distraction. But because we're so prone to just let distractions in and we sometimes, some of us, don't have the ability to make the responsible acts that we need to, it's required then of law to come around and tell us what we should and should not do when in certain things I shouldn't need a law to tell me that I should have responsibility to know that in order to get from here to there it requires a certain action that I've got to allow temptation to be pushed aside and I've got to not say things like it's not that big of a deal I'm using this in the analogy in the picture of driving but I want you to see in life that when we go from here to the greater things that God has for us, the reason we're not walking into the greater things is because we have settled and qualified and justified our lives with it's not that big of a deal. It won't matter. Someone else will get in that, in that role. Someone else will pick up those pieces. Someone else will do that. It won't matter. It's not that big of a deal. Now, I don't know where that applies for you and how that can come across in life and we can stay in the place of missing out from going from here to over there. But we don't need the law. The law is important. But man, it ought to just be out of responsibility that the reason I'm not going to text and drive is not because I'm not allowed to, but because I've got a destiny And what I think is important is not as important as I think it is. We're told two things about the kingdom in the church. In Matthew 16, the Bible says, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. These are the only scriptures that I look at that our role in recognizing what what we do and the distinct roles that we have when it comes to the kingdom of God, the church of God, the church which is God's kingdom on earth, the church that that God is, is establishing. He says that our job is to seek his kingdom and his promise is to 
build the church. If there are moments and it feels like God is not moving or working, who's not doing their job? God says, my job is to build the church. Your job is to seek the kingdom. My job is to build. Your job's to seek. And if I'm in a place and it feels like, God, I'm not getting there, it's not going right, it's not happening, it could be that I've allowed enough it doesn't matters to get into my life, and it has now distracted me, and it's kept me from being able to seek the kingdom of God because I've been distracted by the other stuff that has come along the way and has gotten my attention. Does that make sense? But sometimes what I try to do is when it's not working, it's not going the way I want, then I try to build. And God says, get your hands off the building project. I'm the builder. I'm the chief cornerstone. You're the building. I'm building you up. I'm the one who builds. You seek first. Let me tell you why that's important. Because the enemy wants you to feel like you've got too many bad pieces to work with. The enemy wants you to feel like you've got enough or too many things wrong that you can't build. You don't have the ability. It's not in you. You don't have it. You know what I need to learn to say to the enemy? Enemy, you're absolutely right. That's why there's a master builder who comes and takes care and takes my pieces and knows how to work the pieces. My job is not to build. My job is not to create. He's the creator. My job is to seek his face and allow him to show me what it is that he wants to do so that when things are going along the way, I say things like, oh, I didn't see that, but I trust you, God. I wouldn't have put that there, but I trust you know what you're doing. That's not how I would have done this, but God, I trust you. How many know there's a difference that when I'm stepping from here to there and I'm able to say, God, God, I, I didn't see this for my life. I didn't expect this outcome. This isn't what I was looking at. This isn't how I saw it taking place. But God, I trust you because you're, you're the builder who's able to work, that you're able to build, and you'll even pick up the broken pieces and use those things. You know how to move me from here to there. I'm not gonna sit here and say, how did I get here? I'm gonna stand here and say, God, I thank you that you're gonna move me from here to there. And it might be broken pieces along the way, but you are the master builder builder and you can build my life the way you want to. That's easy to say amen to. And we can leave it like that and I'll just say, praise the Lord, amen, that's good. Let's go home, have church, we'll come back and do it next week maybe, all right? But where it really gets to is we now have to evaluate and really put it in to say, okay, where do I need to step out in my life and say, God, today I'm stepping over the temptation of saying it's no big deal. Let me give you a couple scenarios. This might not be yours. I might not call yours out. You got to figure out what yours is. Some of the scenarios might be, Lord, I would serve and I would give more time and I would be a part of a serve team here at the church, but man, my schedule is just too much. And somehow... This whole thing of what you've got going on supersedes the opportunity in stepping into what God wants to do in our life. I know I need to love my spouse or someone around me. I need to give forgiveness and I need to love in the proper way. But, but God, it's not that big of a deal that I'm just waiting for them to, you know, make sure that I can trust them, make sure that it's going to work, make sure... God, I know I need to get out of this relationship that's not pleasing you. 
God, I know I need to make this relationship right, but some, it's not that big of a deal, some other thing, some other and qualifying and justifying. I know I need to not go to that place with that person, but it's not that big of a deal. I know I shouldn't lie and hide this from my spouse, but they wouldn't understand. I know I shouldn't, and all the things that we have that we can easily qualify and justify with, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Can I tell you what the enemy's using to hold you back is just the thing that God says, I'm not looking for you to do something super. I'm looking for you to just take a step. Because here's what the Bible says in James. If we will draw near to God, what's he promised to do? I read that one time as a teenager and realized my drawing to God is a lot smaller in steps than his drawing to me. Which means that if this gap looks to be between me, if I just take one step, his step is a lot bigger than mine. And when I begin to walk to him, when I begin to step to him, he steps to me and it causes this gap to become filled in. Here, going from here to there, from good enough to greater things. I'm not saying today that you don't love Jesus. I'm just saying today you've allowed some, it doesn't matter that much, to settle in and hold you back from the greater that God has for you. What is it that we have to address? And here's some things I want to just move through these quickly. Here's some things I want to challenge us in that we need to have the nevertheless. If we're going to have nevertheless, it means we're always, always the more. If it's nevertheless, it's always the more. I find this word interesting, nevertheless. And I'm just, I'm a weirdo like this. I study root words and go back to origins. And here's how the whole word started in the English. And the whole word was this, that never the later, which meant it was a word of immediacy. It was a word of right now. I believe that's important. I believe in the original Greek that this is what Jesus was saying as well. Because how many know there are so many times in our lives we say we're going to do that later. But it's a word of immediacy that nevertheless, nevertheless, not losing time, not losing this moment. I'm seizing this moment, this time right now. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Here's some things that we have to confront, that we have to make decisions in, so we're not indecisive and staying here in fear, but we're moving into the greater things. Here's number one, that we have to make these decisions, and the decisions of making sure what we're choosing one over the other, being greater, that we choose purpose over position. That we have to make a decision that we're going to choose purpose over position. Here's the, the reason this is key is because we oftentimes look at position and we think we need to operate according to position and that is, well, I don't have a title for that. That's not my job. That's someone else will do that. But the people who have a heart and no purpose don't do things because they have a title. They do it because it's in them. Jesus didn't go to the cross to try and earn his father's love. He went to the cross because he already knew who he was. His purpose was already in him. He wasn't reaching for a position. In fact, he laid down his position to take up our purpose. He laid down position to take up purpose. It was in him. It became his purpose. Here's what he's saying, that the purpose of you and I, the purpose of reaching us was greater than his position. It was greater than his position. He could have become the king. 
He had enough people around him saying, pick up a sword. Let's go take the Romans. Let's do this. And he could have. He was able. He had the power. He could have held position on this earth. But he knew that his purpose was not attached to position here, but that his purpose was far greater. Have you recognized the purpose upon which you wake up? And I had to realize this some time ago. That I had to change a purpose in how I look at my, uh, at my wife. Because we can look in places and say that, that purpose and we want position, that we have expectations and things that we desire, that we desire in, uh, in, in uh, the relationships and expectations, that I had this expectation of I want her to make me feel a certain way. You know, you can easily have that desire and put upon people we want to receive something from, and we can have that. I had a shift in mind that I had to start thinking, wait a minute, I'm looking for what I can, what, how this will affect me, how this will make me feel, how I can be, uh, how I can be made to feel loved and, and all the things that can come with it when I got to understand the purpose that I'm in is not going from my position of what I'm expecting, but my purpose is to come alongside and to build up that when I know what my purpose is, it changes what I'm looking for. When I I'm saying my purpose is not to wake up and to receive something from you. My purpose is to wake up and to do life with you. That's my purpose. And when the purpose changes or when we recognize the purpose, it causes us to see things differently. It took me some years to learn my job as a husband. I don't say that to you as with any shame. I say that in the reality that any man who knows how to admit that he's got to learn how to be a husband would say, I'm learning from the Holy Spirit how to be a husband. There's only a couple of husbands that said amen. God bless the rest of you. That's a, unless you got this all figured out. So you teach the class, you got this down. But having the, here, here's the, the difference. Whenever we're looking from position of what we want to receive, but purpose says what our role and what it is. That we're meant. Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your purpose is that when you wake up in the morning? Because if you're looking at position, you can easily get depressed. When you look at position, you can easily get depressed because position says where I am and what's around me. It's not fair. This doesn't feel right. This isn't what I deserve. No one respects me. This isn't happening the way I want. You can call all those things out. And you know what you've just done? You've just thrown yourself a pity party right here. And all the while, your victory's over there. You've just put yourself in that place. And you're waiting for that moment to break through. But no one can do your breakthrough except you and Jesus. I can preach to you every Sunday and you can come. But your breakthrough is not going to be because you hear me preach. Your breakthrough is going to be because something you hear from the Holy Spirit gets in your heart and you begin to apply it and you begin to step in it. That's breakthrough. Breakthrough isn't when they sing a favorite song and that song moves you. Breakthrough is when the songs they're singing, the words of what they're singing gets in your spirit and starts to cause you to move from here to there. But too often we want somebody to push us, carry us. One thing I've found out is that God will not make my decisions for me. But the moment I say yes to him, he'll run right in and he'll work in the midst of whatever it is that I need him to work in. I've got to choose purpose over position. Let me give you number two. If we're going to live with this nevertheless, that I've got to have purpose over position. I've got to know my purpose. Number two, I've got to 
I've got to put eternal over temporary. I've got to put eternal over temporary. Every decision you make is like a seed. The effects of your life or the situations of your life have been affected by the decisions you've made. Life is made up of all the decisions we've made. How many have ever made a great decision in life? If you're sitting next to your husband, please raise your hand or your wife. How many of you have ever made a bad decision in life? How many of you let someone else make your decisions? I don't know what we're dealing with here. <laughs> Ronald Reagan said when he was a kid he had to go get shoes made because he needed special shoes. And back then he would go to the shoemaker. He walked into the shoemaker and the shoemaker took his size, put all that together and and said to him, now do you want square toe or rounded toe? And, and uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, he said he was an indecisive person. Uh, he said, uh, so he kind of shrugged his shoulders and made, the, made a gesture. And the, the uh, shoemaker said, very good, come back in a week and you'll have them. And uh, Ronald Reagan said as a young kid, he went back with his mother to pick up his shoes. And one was square and one was rounded. <laughs> he said he learned that day he better make his decisions or someone else is going to make them for him. The, the decisions we make in life affect us. Decisions are like a seed. And the timing is the soil that we put them in. Every farmer knows the power is in the seed. The seed is good, but if you don't put it in good soil. And that good soil is made ready in time. There's a certain timing. When it comes to our decisions, let me ask you about time. Are you putting your soil or your seed in eternal time or temporary time? Are you putting the seeds, the decisions that you're making, are they in eternal time or are they in temporary time? Are they in the things that don't matter as much, in the things that here today, gone tomorrow? You know, you would make the decision, but you're not sure how that person, what they would think about you if you made that eternal decision. Uh-oh. <laughs> you're going to allow a temporary relationship or a temporary situation to hinder your eternal outcome. That's not wise. I've got to put my seed in eternal soil. I've got to put this in a place that it's going to produce. You say, well, there might be agony and things along the way. Yeah, you've got to go through that to get over there, but I want you to know that when you go through that, just the same, it only lasts for a moment. It's eternal. Jesus knew that his suffering was temporary, but the promise and the greater things would be eternal. This is just for a moment. I want to say to somebody today, you're staying over here and you're adverting and keeping away from temporary pain. The problem is you're adverting temporary pain only to deal with eternal frustration. You're allowing something to rob you that is just a temporary thing, that just for a moment, even in this life, here is the hope that we know. This life is only for a moment. I want to live with all I've got to give to this life, to make the best of this life, but I don't live for this life because I don't know how many years I have, but I'm not born to live here forever. I am born that I might know Jesus and that I might be resurrected so that when it's my turn to leave this life, I will reach the things that really matter. How many remember, we're still just, we're just, we're, we're just travelers. We're foreigners in this place. This isn't our home. Be reminded today, this isn't your home. Your job you're working for to get your accolade, and get, that's not your home, it's temporary. 
I've never heard anybody say, when they were at their deathbed, say, you know what, would you please just give me my plaque that's on my wall? I'd like to spend some time with my plaque that told me how good I was working. Would you please just bring me my banks, my, my, my pay stubs so I can just be reminded how much money I made? No one ever calls for those things. What do they call for? They call for the people, the relationships, the things that are eternal. The only thing you're going to take are the things that are eternal. We were at a pastor's conference this week. I love this statement. This gentleman said, he, he said, spend your time and energy or spend your best energy with the people who will be at your casket last. I thought, what a statement. I thought, that's tweetable. You just put that. I mean, that's, that, that is value right there. Give your best energy to those who will leave your casket last. Don't give your best energy to the stuff that's not gonna matter. Give all your work and your energy and get home and have nothing left for the family because you've just spent it all out there and giving your best in all those other areas and you're not able to give to what is most. You're making a temporary decision at the expense of eternal values. That in our lives, that we've gotta make the decisions. We've gotta give, give those the, 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 the temporary Making sure that we choose the eternal over the temporary. Let me give you the last one, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come and help us close. Here's the, uh, the, the last one is we need to put obedience over perfection. Obedience over perfection. Here's what I mean. There are some of us who are here, and we know we need to start taking a step to go over there, but we're waiting for everything to get perfect. We're waiting for the right time, waiting for the right set of circumstances, waiting for the right things to fall in place. The only problem with our perspective of perfect is that perfect to us really just means our preference. When we say perfect, we just mean the way I want it to be. God, I would serve you and do that if I could have more time, if I had more. And we neglect the eternal value we ne- neglect the eternal things. Now, I'm wrapping up early here so that we can have communion. So I just want to let you know that. I'm re- being respectful of time, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to have communion in just a moment because uh, I know sometimes that's the point when the pastor starts to say, well, now we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Well, let's all stand up and leave right now. We're gonna, time to exit the church right now. And I keep telling myself, I say, good Lord, I try to close up early so we can make. And God bless you, brother. Now you just have to put you on the spot there, but... Uh, Love you. That's my. Now I just did it. I love you. <laughs> Listen, the perfect. Can I tell you a lesson I'm learning? By the way, he's helping us with communion, so y'all just be. I'm trying to say to God, God, help me to learn how to step out in faith and not wait for all the pieces to be in the right places. Because I want to step out. But I don't know about so-and-so. They're not ready to go. I don't know about how that's going to... I don't know about the cost. What's it going to be? And... I want to step out and believe God for greater things and relationships and I want to step in that and it's like, ah, then we're right here waiting for things to be perfect 
I am a slight perfectionist. So take it from a professional. I'm the one who wants everything to be just right. I want to make decisions, and when we make decisions, everybody just says, wonderful, beautiful. I want it to be where the sun is shining, beautiful. How many know it always doesn't go that way? Oh, God, I'm stepping out. Here's what, the moments I step out to trust God, all of a sudden I get attacked. Yep. That's the way it is. I step out and I trust God and it feels like everything that I'm looking for, it's, I'm having opposition and it's coming against me and it feels like such a fight. Yep, that's what it takes. It feels like I got this desire to do something great for God, but then I've got these people's expectations. I've got family and other things that are around me and it just feels like such a, 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 a heartache and difficulty. Yep what it is now I'm not saying to us that we ought to just take on more stuff and be busy we ought to you know just step out and serve get busy because busyness in itself can also be of the devil about two years ago or so I had a pace that is not healthy I could not continue being a pastor at that pace it's not healthy running to every demand trying to meet everybody's needs doing whatever and then the Lord brought a team around us And now there's more people carrying the load. Now the pastor doesn't have to run to everything. I've got more time on my hand. Well, don't think that means I got lazy. No, I've got more time on my hand, which means I'm now able to be more focused on what God has called me to do. My job is not to be everything to everybody. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So there might be times the pastor doesn't come and see you. Well, the pastor did not figure out how to be omnipresent. And so when he's seeing them, he can't always see them or others. But there are a team of people who have now risen up around. And we've said, let's go get it. Let's go get more. Let's do more to the glory of God. Why? Because now we've got a team of people that are able to say, you know what, we're going to step out. And I'm not going to do everything, but I'm going to do something. And when you do something, God takes your something and meets you in the middle and takes your something and makes it greater. What I tend to do is I want to wait for it to be just right. No. I might not have all the time up front to give, but I'm going to give the time I've got and I'm going to watch God do something with the time I have. I might not have all the abilities up front, but I'm going to step out and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to make a decision from this place. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I don't know where you are, if it's in a relationship with Jesus, whatever it is. If there's something you say, you know what, I'm staying in this place. And and because I am a slight perfectionist, I'm visionary, my fear in life, ask my wife, my fear in life is settling. I don't like, I don't like sitting still. I'm a busybody. But the root of that is that deep inside of me, it's saying, God, I never want to just settle for good enough. I I know I can make myself crazy trying to step in, but here's my point is, I'm saying to God, God, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to step into what I know, and I'm going to trust you with what I don't know. 
I'm going to step into what I can do and trust you with what I can't do. I'm going to step in to what I can give and trust you to cover what I can't give. I'm going to step in and trust you with the rest. Some of you are saying, if I made that decision, that relationship I'm in, I don't know what would happen to me. You've got to trust the one who holds on to you. Because sometimes along the way, there's broken pieces. But God knows how to pick up the broken pieces and do something with them. We call her baby AJ. Two summers ago, was in a drowning accident. Many of you, if you've been a part of the church for some time, you've seen her come in her chair. Two summers ago in that drowning accident, she had a condition that has affected her. The, the, she was in the, the emergency room. They could not find a heartbeat. The grandmother calls the church office and speaks with one of the ladies in our, on our staff in the office two summers ago. They prayed over the phone. The pastor wasn't here to pray with them because the pastor doesn't have to be the one to always pray. The pastor doesn't have any closer ties to Jesus than anybody else. And so she called and they prayed over the phone. The grandmother goes back into the room and the doctors were able or the nurses were able to find a heartbeat. Answer to prayer. As a result of that incident, she had seizures that she had still had some ability to respond, some brain activity. Her heart was strong, but she had seizures. She comes to church, she being doing uh, just things that she could do, was gaining some mobility of sitting up and progress. Sunday while she was here at church, had a seizure and, and not unusual, but this one unfortunately didn't end. At the end of service, took her to children's and they found out that it was a, 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 an intense, intense seizure that kept increasing. They kept her on medicine trying to bring the seizures down it was not working the unfortunate thing was after tests later in the week they found out that the seizures had affected her to the point that there was no brain activity so the family made a decision on Friday rather than her fighting the seizures to take her off life support and to trust her to God 3.30 yesterday afternoon, baby AJ went to be with Jesus. I got to tell you, that's not what I believe for. We watched her come to this service or into the church and we laid hands on her, believing what a testimony. Somehow wanting to step from here to there didn't happen the way I thought it would. I believe for I even said to Jody, I said, why would God cause her to be resuscitated? A heart that was not beating, but God allows it two summers ago, 18 months ago, for this heart to beat again. Just to allow 18 months later? I'm not angry at God, I'm just honestly saying, I don't get it. This makes no sense to me. I don't understand your ways, God. I don't get what you're doing. There's broken pieces. And the enemy wants to say to you, see, that's why you just stay here. That's why you just hurts too much. There's too much vulnerability. There's too much at stake. You just stay here. But I don't know the whole story. 
like this, that that heart that was resuscitated 18 months ago is now a strong heart. The doctors have said it's a good heart so that it's being prepared today to be, to be put into a little girl who needs a heart transplant. I don't get it, God. I don't understand. But I know you don't waste things. I know you didn't do something 18 months ago to just let it fall by the wayside 18 months later. You're God. I'm not. I don't get it. But it's not my job to understand it here because I can stay on this side saying I'll wait for it to make sense, wait for it to all line up, wait for it, whatever it is. I don't get it. No, all I have to do is say, God, today I'm gonna take a hold of your hand and I'm gonna trust you. I don't know why you do what you do, but I trust that you know what you're doing. I trust that you know what you're doing. I don't know why you allow things to happen the way you allow them to happen. I don't know why we have to go through the places we go through. I don't know why I have to drink the cup I don't wanna always drink. But nevertheless, 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 not my will, but your will be done. Because this I am confident, that in him I will see him in the land of the living. That he will declare his promises to me, that he will show himself faithful. I don't get it today, but I'm getting on the other side, and someday it's going to make sense. Now you're here today and you're saying, well that just sounds like a nice way to have an have a, have a religion to prop you up when you're going through tough, tough places in life. You know, if you think it's just propping me up, I want you to know that this is not my hope just to get through life. This is my hope that I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. So when you want to say it's just a prop to hold you up, no, I'm not just trying to get through the pain of this life. I'm holding on to a hope and an eternity that I will be with Jesus forever. It's not my prop. It's my hope. I don't understand this side, but I trust God. <coughs> Jesus gave his life on the cross, and while he's hanging on the cross, he says these words, My Father... Why have you forsaken me? You know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to have moments, not like he's felt it, but Jesus isn't the kind who says, well, your pain's not as bad as my pain. No, Jesus says, I went through the worst pain so that I could help you walk through your pain. You know what it's like to feel forsaken, feel betrayed, feel left disappointed, feel like there's no point in it. You know what it's like. Jesus was separated from the Father. The Father turned his back on Jesus. But you know why Jesus went through what he went through? So that we can know today we don't have to be separated from God. That we can be united. The Bible says in John 15, Jesus said these words, I do not call you slaves. I call you friend." get this. The master says to the slave, hey, get up and go over there. The master says to the slave, you've got to do something. But guess what the friend says? The friend says to a friend, hey, let's go together. Let's do this together. The master says, you're on your own. You've got to do this for me. But the friend says, hey, come on. Let's do this 
together. I want you to know that he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He says, I'll walk with you. I'll take you from here to there. You might have to go through some stuff, but I am with you. I will never leave you. My promise is that I will remain, that the victory that you need is not that you are kept from problems, but that you watch me deliver you from the problems. That when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. You might feel the heat, but you're not going to get burned. You might get wet, but you're not going to drown. I might not take you out of the problem, but I'm going to bring you through it because I am with you. I'm with you. I'm going through with this. I want to say to you today, he's not wanting you to be his servant. He wants you to be his friend. His friend. What's a friend say to a friend? Come on. Let's do this together. Let's do this together.